Well, we began a series on New Year's Day about New Year, New You, and sort of in the month of January, we're going to talk about some stuff that applies to us going into this next year. It's a great time to make New Year's resolutions and those sorts of things, and today we're going to talk a little bit about what it feels like to be in a hurry all the time. Some of you all know this and what it looks like. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get in too much of a hurry, I wanted to make sure that uh, we recognize Vlad. Vlad made um, announcements today for us. Vlad, stand up. Uh, he became a naturalized citizen on Friday. And we welcome you to the team, my friend. So uh, glad that you're, you're one of us. Thank you so much. Um, you may have seen this video before, but I'm going to kind of start with this. If you've seen it before, just let it kind of don't say anything to your neighbor because it's sort of kind of cool. And uh, we'll talk about it in just a second. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. Yeah, 13, right. But did you see the moonwalking bear? ago we talked about it's easy to miss stuff you're not looking for and so we're talking about what it looks like to be in a hurry so l- let me begin with this verse this is kind of the jumping off point today it's a great verse teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom now we live in a world where we're sort of we, we feel it sometimes especially when we're young that we are limitless that we're kind of bulletproof that nothing is ever going to happen to us as you get older, you, you start to number your days because you realize, hey, I, don't only, have, I only have this much uh, more time in my career. I only have this many more years of life and that sort of thing. And, and we have to understand uh, to gain wisdom that our time is limited. Now, most of us have great intentions. And at the beginning of the year, we have better intentions than normal because we, we think to ourselves, yes, this is going to be the year I read my Bible. This is going to be the year I eat better. This is going to be the year I spend more time reading. Uh, This is going to be the year... I I wish we would make real resolutions, don't you? Like, I'm going to watch more television this year. I I could keep that. I'm going to eat more ice cream. I I mean, that is a resolution everybody can get uh, on board with. But, But we make these resolutions because we understand, at least sort of subconsciously, that it would be great to be better to have a better family life, to have the right kind of, to be the right kind of person, to, to have right relationships. See, the problem is there are, there's stuff, there are things, there are tasks in our life, and they become urgent even though they're not that important. There's a guy by the name of Meyer Friedman. He coined a phrase, he calls what we experience a lot of times in life, hurry sickness. And he makes the point that we as Americans worship at the altar of doing things quickly, that things are always in a hurry. And um, I, I read an interview the other day uh, from one of the Domino's delivery pizza guys back in the day where they made that, remember they had, they had the, uh, the ad that 
uh, they're going to deliver your pizza in 30 minutes or less, or it's on us, remember that? And, and they had to stop that because they were, their drivers were involved in so many accidents that, uh, um, that they had to just quit it. But this, this delivery driver back in the day, they interviewed him, and in the interview, he, he makes the point that people would start to get out of his way. Like when we used to do with ambulances and with fire trucks, people would see a Domino's car coming and they would pull over. Because it was the Domino's delivery guy. And if you'll remember, the CEO said, we don't deliver, we don't uh, deliver, uh, let's see, we're, we're not a pizza store, we're a delivery store. It's not about the pizza, it's about the delivery. And if you've ever had Domino's pizza, you know that's true. <laughs> USA Today recently did a, a report on a hospital in Detroit. And they are claiming, that their, their ad is, their pitch is, uh, emergency room visits in 20 minutes or less. You come to the emergency room, you're going to be seen in 20 minutes or less. Their business is up 30%. Their mortality rate is up 94%. Either way, you're getting in and out fast. So, I mean, uh, uh, but it's working. It's drawing people in because we don't want to wait for anything. Now, there's a church in Chicago, Willow Creek. You may have heard of it. Bill Hybels is the pastor. They do a lot of research of their own congregation. And they ask the question, kind of this serious question about, what, is, what impedes you from being the, the person spiritually that you want to be? What, what is the number one impediment for your life in becoming the man or woman God wants you to be? It's a great question to ask, honestly. And overwhelmingly, the, the number one answer was, I don't have enough time. A time constraints. I, I, would, I would do this, but I don't have the time. I would develop relationships, but I don't have the time. I would be closer to God, but I don't have the time. So, today I, I think it would make some sense for us to do a mass confession of our addiction to hurry. We're, we're going to just raise our hands if we are people who feel like, you know, we're in too much of a hurry. We're going to raise our hands for this. Not yet. I'm, I, hold on. See, that's the point right there. Could you get on with it? I mean, I know what you're saying. But hurry sickness, let me define it for you before we confess to it. But hurry sickness is this. It's when you don't feel like there's enough time in the day. You get to the end of the day and it's like, man, I didn't have enough time to do all the things I wanted to do. You're a chronic multitasker. You're looking at your phone and the television at the same time. I see you out there. I know you're there. If, you're, if you have hurry sickness, when you're driving and you pull up on Wade Hampton, three lanes of traffic, you figure out which cars, which lane has the most cars. And then, okay, this, this one really blows your mind. Because you're like, you're pulling up to the traffic light and there's one car in all three lanes. So, if you have hurry sickness, what you do is you begin to analyze the make, the model, how old is that person in the car? If they're really old, you get in another lane. If they're really young, you get in another lane. Because what are they doing at the stoplight? They're looking at their phones. So you want people like me, who are middle-aged, ready to get someplace, right? And that, that's, if, you have hurry, if, if you have hurry sickness when you go in the grocery store, and it's time to check out, what do you do? You pick the line with least people. And, and you're looking, you're analyzing how many things are in their basket. Now, if you really have this bad, 
you get in the checkout fast line, the, the expedited process line, I forget what they call it. But anyway, uh, and if somebody, it's like 10 items or less, if they have 11, you have like a mini stroke right there in the store. But let's say you have a basket full of stuff and you're analyzing which line to get in and you get in a line and if you're really sick, you, you, you sort of calculate who, would, who would, you would be over on this line. You're in line A, but if you had gotten in line B, I'd be that guy. And then you watch, and you go, I mean, at Costco, Costco is the worst. Oh, my word. Do, do they even have people that check somebody out at Costco? What is the deal? I was there the other day, and they were lined up into the stuff. It's like, ah! All right, anyway, if you got this bad, you, you watch to see where you would have been in the other line. And if that guy gets through before you, it ruins your day. You go home, you kick the dog. You want to know why? Because you're sick. That's why. Hurry sickness. Now, how many of you suffer from some, mal- some form of this? You Raise your hand right now. I want you to look around. We are a bunch of sickos. I mean, good grief. Hurry sickness. And so the text tells us, teach me to number my days. It doesn't say teach me to calculate which is the fastest lane, which is the fastest line. We, we if we're not careful, we just get in a big hurry, and we're like hurried all the time. I heard about this one businessman, and he would come home every night, and he would bring his briefcase home, and he would crack that open in the evening and start working, and his son, little son, six or seven years old, said, Daddy, why do you bring your briefcase home every day? Why don't you have time to play? And the dad said, well, son, I, I just, I've got so much to do at work I have to bring it home so I can get finished. And the little boy said, well, Daddy, can't they put you in the slow group like they do at school? (laughs) We live in a society that really doesn't encourage slow group thinking. Really, I I mean, we're kind of faster, better. um, And when, when we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we don't do this, our children grow up, life goes by, God waits, we get to the end of our life, and we have missed it. And Jesus tells a story about this. Jesus tells these amazing stories in Scripture. They're called parables. He he uses like real-life stuff, and he tells a story, and then he makes a spiritual application. Sort of like a devotional, frankly. And Jesus has this occasion one time to tell this story about not caring about the things we need to care about. So so let's look at it. Oh, hurry sickness, there you go. Um, Someone in the crowd, now Jesus is teaching, he's teaching this huge crowd, and someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now it's a reasonable request, honestly. Um, Jesus is a rabbi, he has authority, Uh, all these people, maybe they don't have a preacher, they just kind of come out to see Jesus teach, they like his teaching. Jesus is teaching them uh, words of wisdom. And so this one brother says to Jesus, kind of, I'm sure his other brother was there. It would be something like this. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Now, what Jesus recognizes in this request is that the man who's asking the question or making the, uh, asking for assistance, that guy, the guy that's asking for help, cares more about the stuff than the brother. Because if the brother has chosen not to divide it up, 
Maybe he's a jerk. Maybe it's wrong. But still, he's your brother. And so, Jesus understands this is a much more, in, in this guy's mind, it's much more about stuff than it is about relationships. And that just shouldn't be. And so, Jesus breaks in to this story. First, he gives this warning. Look what he says. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is more important than stuff, is what he's saying. Now, in this story, there are a couple of illusions that Jesus sort of explodes, okay? One is the illusion from this story that's still common today is that I am in control. I'm in control. Um, and so let's look at the story, and then you're going to get this, I think. Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take your life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let's push back one slide. Notice all the pronouns here. Um, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place for my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down uh, my, my barns. I'll build bigger barns, barns for my grain and my goods. And there's a theme throughout this entire story. And it's that this fellow sees the stuff that he possesses as his own. But, look at the beginning the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now, who owns the ground? Ultimately, who made the ground? Not hard. God. All right, okay. What is a trick? I'm going to give you another question, also not tricky. Okay, here we go. Uh, who caused the produce of that good piece of ground? Who? God. Great. All right, good, good, good. So, it's God's. Uh, in fact, it, when we come to an understanding that everything that we have, comes from God, it helps us. It's all on loan. God has given you your abilities, your talents, your IQ, your experiences. None, none of those, you, you didn't really put yourself in line for that. I was born in Kentucky, the greatest state in the Union, and I'm sorry for you if you weren't. South Carolina, it's probably middle of the 50. I mean, that's pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I didn't do anything to earn Kentuckiness, God just likes me more than you. I, I can't help that. It's not really not my fault. I mean, we're born in America. There are people who aren't born in America. Uh, there are people trying to get to America. There's a reason for that. It's a great place to live. We have opportunities and freedoms and those sorts of things. And we, we have these things because God has given us these things. But we have all this kind of language around um, self Self, we call somebody that, uh, that has success, we'll, we'll say sometimes that he's a self-made man. Or we'll say something like, if you want it done right, you do it what? Yourself. Right? So we, we sort of focus on ourselves. Have you ever been to a wedding? Weddings, there are huge control issues at weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. You, you have a bride, you have a mother of the bride, you have bridesmaids. Control issues. You have a groom, he doesn't care. All right, I just want you to know. Now, I say that, and then these brides are like, oh, but, but my little Johnny, he really cares. 
listen, he doesn't care. Uh, none of us care. What flowers should I pick? The ones you pick. We, we like the ones you like. What, what about the china? The china you like. We, we don't care. Um, you could, you, it could be plastic. It could be from Ikea, for goodness sake. We don't care. We just don't care. All right? Somebody said about a groom, uh, a groom is like bathrooms at a museum. They're necessary, but nobody goes there to look at them. That, that's kind of what a, what a groom is. But there, there, we, we want to be in control of stuff. Now, this guy, he dies. Uh, eventually in the story, he, he passes away. And everybody goes to his funeral. Now, you've been to funerals before. What, what do people say? They walk by the casket, and what do they say about the person in the casket? He looks so what? Ha- peaceful. Yeah, rigor mortis will do that to you. I mean, really. Um, if your calendar is really packed, you want to get out of that, uh, when you die, it'll clear up. I mean, really, your calendar really gets clear after you're dead. And, and Jesus is like, this guy is going to die. He's been working and hustling and doing all this stuff, and there's nothing wrong with hard work. Don't, get me, don't hear me say that. But if that's your only focus in life, then Jesus uses this language from the financial sector. It, it's beautiful. It, it's, look at this. He says, you fool, this very night... Your life will be demanded from you. If you're a banker, you, you know that sometimes you, you loan out money, but, but you have to pay it back. I mean, if I, if I borrow money, I pay it back. I have a mortgage. Every month I get to pay the bank back for lending my, me that money. There, there's a financial obligation. I borrowed, then I owe. All right, Jesus is saying, look, everything you have is on loan from God. Everything you have. Your intellect. IQ, abilities, talents, all on loan from God. And someday, they will be demanded from you. God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Yeah, he, he, he got to a place, this bright, clever, in-control guy, one day has to give an account for his life. Things are going to settle down eventually. There's going to be a time where you have to give an accounting for the things that God gave you. John Ortberg is a pastor out in San Francisco in a great church, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, great church. And he's got a friend, or had a friend, Dallas Willard. He passed away, but Dallas Willard is one of those brilliant thinkers, kind of like C.S. Lewis, one of those guys that just brilliant thinkers. And and they're good friends, or they were good friends before Mr. Willard passed away. And, and one day... Ortberg is in the middle of just a busy season in life, and so he calls Dallas Willard, and he asks this question. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy and vital and really alive with God? What do I need to do? Now, there's this sort of long pause, and then Dallas Willard says our big idea for the day. He says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg, <laughs> after a pause, said, okay, I've got that. What else? And this was Willard's explanation. There is nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. There's a difference between being hurried and being busy. Being busy is an outward condition. It's a state of our bodies. It's having many things to do. Jesus was often busy. To be hurried is a state of the soul. 
It's an inward condition. It's when I'm so preoccupied with my own agenda, with me, with my little life, and my ego, and, and, and my anxieties begin to flow out of all that I have to accomplish. And I am unable to simply receive love and grace from my Heavenly Father from one moment into the next, and then unable to be with people and listen to them and love them and care for them. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So in this story, Jesus kind of blows up this one notion that I'm in control. He, he kind of blows up another notion, and that's that one day more will be enough. One day more will be enough. Now, Jesus' followers had a different idea around this. In fact, you see them saying, this is Paul. He said, I've learned the secret of being content. Being content. I've learned the secret of it. It's a learned skill. And today, we're going we're to have a little exercise where we practice this. I'm going to give you a phrase that you can use. It's really based on a peanut cartoon. I'll, I'll kind of explain this to you. I, I, I saw this a while back. It was a Thanksgiving and and Snoopy was being Snoopy, and he was out on the top of his doghouse, and, and it's Thanksgiving Day, and in, in the window you can see Charlie Brown and the family having turkey and stuffing and dressing and all those kind of things, and, and Snoopy's lamenting that he's not in the house with the family, all he's got is dog food, and then it comes to him. It could be worse. He could be the turkey. So... I want you to say it with me with good vigor because we're going to use this this week in our lives. I want you to say it with me. It could be worse. All right, say it. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can read it. It could be worse. So in just a few minutes, we're going to be done 15, 20 minutes from now. You're going to go out into the parking lot and you're going to get into a vehicle. And you might be thinking, oh, if I only had a nicer, more a prestigious, newer, less mile vehicle, then I would be happy. And I want you to say with vigor when you get out there, it could be worse. And then you're going to drive home and you're going to go to a place and you're going to pull into a, a driveway or you're going to park in a parking lot and you're going to go into a place that you live. And, and you're going to be thinking, you might be thinking, you know, if I had a bigger place with more bedrooms and if I had more bathrooms and if it was just a little more square footage and if our carpet was nicer or if we had hardwood floors or if we had marble on the countertop or if we had just had the right backsplash, then I would be happy. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, it could be worse. Tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to roll over and you're going to look at that spouse that's next to you. And you better not say that, all right? Because that would be stupid, all right? Don't say that. What we have to understand is there's this huge difference between the richness of having and the richness of being. These aren't even the same story. They're not even the same things. Uh, I, I can be rich in having but not be rich in being. I could, be, I could have a lot of stuff and be a big jerk. Or I could have, like, no stuff, but, man, I, I might be the guy everybody wants to talk to because they know I love them and I care about them and I have affection for them and I'm going to treat them right and I'm going to give them good advice and I'm a friend and they're going to call me when they have a need because they know I'm a friend. And if it's late at night and they don't have anybody else to call, they can call me because I may not have any stuff, but I have a being the man in Jesus' story, he was shrewd. 
Man, he knew how to play the game. He, he not only had barns, but now he has a crop so big he has to build bigger barns. And so many of us look at that. If we really were honest with ourselves today, we would say, wow, what I wouldn't give to be in that position, to have to build bigger barns to put all my stuff in. And Jesus is like, well, he, he uses an expression. He, he says, that's foolish. Because a bunch of stuff, once you get to a certain place in life, having a bunch of stuff really isn't that big a deal. And I don't know where you stand spiritually or anything like that, but this is the story that millions of people today are struggling with. If I just had more, then I would feel like a success. I would feel like more will make me better, you know, that kind of thing. If Miriam and I were to come to an agreement today and, and I were to give her the credit card or she were to take her credit card and she were to go to the mall and we make an agreement and she can buy anything she wants, any jewelry, any dresses, any, any shoes, any appliance, anything she wants, would that make her happy? Really? Well, we're never going to know, are we? But now, it, it, the answer is no. I mean, it might, it might give you some joy for a moment. There might be relief in, in, a, in a moment in time. But ultimately, it's not the thing that brings you joy. Stuff. Look, I've, I've got daughters Three daughters that don't live with us anymore. One lives in Louisville, one lives in Michigan, one lives in Tennessee. We still have a lease. And when, my, when our girls come home, when they're here for the holidays, when they were here a couple weeks ago, I could be in a tent and I would be happy. Because it's about being with people it it just meant let's be with them we, we we would go hiking and do stuff and you get to a place in life where you understand those are things that are important there's a great theologian by the name of jerry seinfeld have you ever heard of him he did this bit one time about a box the lesson of the box this is what he writes to me if uh, uh, if life boils down to one significant thing, it's movement. To live is to keep moving. Unfortunately, this means for the rest of our lives, we're, looking, we're going to be looking for boxes. When you're moving, your whole world is boxes. That's all you think about, boxes. Where are the boxes? You wander down, you wander down the street, going in and out of stores. Are there boxes here? Have you seen any boxes? That's all you can think about. You could be at a funeral. Everyone around you is mourning, crying. You're looking at the casket. That's a nice box. Anybody know where that guy got that box? When he's done with it, you think I could get it? It has those cool handles on it. My stereo would fit right in there. I mean, that's what death is, really. It's the last big move of your life. The hearse is like the moving van. The pallbearers are your close friends, the only ones you could ask to help you with a big move like that. And the casket is that great, perfect box you've been looking for your whole life. 
Woo! That's good, isn't it? That's good. God teaches us to number our days because really smart, bright, clever people all around us miss this. See, the truth of the matter is we should invest our time in what will last. Stuff doesn't last. I could build an empire and I have to leave it because someday I die. I I could be worth billions of dollars, but someday I'll leave that because I can't take that with me. The, The things that matter are our relationship with God and our relationships with people. So, in these moments that we have, that God blesses us with, that God loans to us, these moments, one of the purposes of them is to become rich toward God and rich toward people. And so on your outline, I've given us some questions that we can kind of maybe work through this week. We ask God, what do you want to do through me? I mean, honestly, it's never too late to change what you're doing. Or, or maybe it's finding some place to help somebody. Maybe it's helping your neighbors. But, God, what do you want to do through me? I, I realize today, Lord, that I, everything I have is on loan from you. My, my stuff, my abilities you gave me, what do you want to do with it? it it's your stuff. Ask him how to number your days. Lord, I know I don't have forever, so how can I make the most of today? You pause and you take some time to thank God for the blessings in your life. Uh, we, we do get in such a hurry that sometimes we miss this, and this is really important. And we just came through Thanksgiving and then Christmas, and I think we're maybe a little more heightened to, heightened to be appreciative, but it shouldn't be in just those seasons. I mean, it should be Anytime, every time. I had a great bowl of soup the other day. Miriam made some great soup. It was awesome. And then she made cornbread, little uh, little cakes. What do y'all call that? What? Muffin? No, it wasn't a muffin. It was a pancake, a corn pancake. Hoe cakes, that's right. All right, all right. It was awesome. Now, when's the last time you thank God for pinto beans and cornbread? Because you should. I mean, you put a little bacon in there, oh, 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 I mean, that is from God. I, there's not, really, seriously, good grief. When, when's the last time you really were thankful? I, 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 was in, <laughs> I was in Walmart the other day. I, I was buying two things. There's a guy in front of me with a 90 thing in his bucket. And he looked at me and he said, you want to go on? <laughs> yeah. I get in front of him, he says, I'm retired, I got nothing to do. I got nothing. Like, cool, I got stuff to do. I'll, I'll just jump right in front of you. It was very, I was very appreciative of that. Then there was a lady, like, right next, right in front of me, and, and she looks back, and she's, she said, well, uh, where are you retired from? They had a little conversation. And she says, she's, she's on a cane, and she said, I'm 59, I'm about to retire. And I'm thinking, well, good grief, I can walk. I, I've got good health. My sister tomorrow morning, she's a few years older than I am, is having hip replacement surgery. We got the same genes, man. And yet, she's having hip replacement surgery. When's the last time you were thankful that you're healthy, 
that you can walk, that you can do stuff. Man, it, it, we should be thankful all the time. Um, pause and take time to thank God. And then re-surrender everything to Him. God, it's yours. What do you want to do with this stuff? And finally, ask for guidance. God, what are you leading me to do? What are you leading me to give? Where are you leading me to go? Who do you want me to have a relationship with? How do I develop that? Show me, help me open, open doors for me. Or show me what doors you want me to knock on. Help us, the scripture says, to remember our time is, is short. To consider our days, to count our days. Because therein is the beginning of wisdom. When we know this life isn't all there is, when we, we, when we, when we begin to live in such a way where we don't just think this is it, man, that, then that's really living. When you live with eternity in mind, that's really living. Father, thank you for the time you've given us together today. Thank you that this is a great reminder and remind us as we're trying to get off this property that we're not in a hurry because that's a good thing to remember too. Help us to develop relationships and help us to be rich in character. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.